Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. So we're reading from Acts chapter 11, and then Acts 13. Let's read um, Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to 26. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution then broke out when Stephen was killed, uh, killed travel as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks and also telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. And then I'm just going to read chapter 13, verses 1 to 3. Now in the church of Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menian, who had been brought up with Herod, uh, the Tetarch, and Saul, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set them apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. I'm just gonna pray for Neil as he comes up. Um, Heavenly Father, just thank you for this, this Sunday gathering, Lord. Um, yeah, Lord, I pray that when Neil speaks, Lord, that you'll speak through him. Um, and that, yeah, his, his words will be clear and concise. In your name I pray, amen. Cool, thank you so much. Guys, it is such a joy to be here and to come visit with you guys. Uh, I know Maffy and Steve really well, but it is such a nice thing to be here and open God's word with you. Um, if you have a Bible um, or you have your sheets, uh, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 11. We're going to look at a few other passages as well. So if you have a Bible, it'd be great to find Acts chapter 11, but don't worry, I will uh, read it for us. So we will see what God has to say together. Well, I wonder if you have ever given much thought to how it is that we came to be called Christians. You won't find it commanded by Jesus in the Gospels. It wasn't some bishop at some council a long time ago that came up with this. No, we can see where it started in Acts chapter 11. If you look down at the end of verse 26, the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Up until this point, disciples of Jesus have been called as such. They're the disciples. Or sometimes they were called those belonging to the way, because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. If you read the New Testament, a lot of the time the letters are going to be addressed to the church, are going to be to all the believers. So why this word? Why this term? How did that come to be used? What happened at Antioch? Let's pray 
And let's see what God shows to us in Acts chapter 11. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, we come now and we want to sit at Jesus' feet. And Lord Jesus, we want you to teach us and we want you to challenge us and to encourage us. Holy Spirit, we pray for it. We just want your touch. We want your truth. We want you to go into us and help us to long for the Lord Jesus more. Amen. Well, it must have been very frightening. It must have been very frightening. It must have been just devastating for the church when Stephen was killed. If you're looking at the start of Acts chapter 11, verse 19, now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed. Stephen was part of their church. If it was happening here, we would know him. Stephen was stoned to death by the Jews because he told them that Jesus is God's righteous one whom they betrayed and murdered. The pressure has been building. The, 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 the Christians, the disciples are telling people the gospel and the Jews want them to stop and they won't. The Jews wanted Jesus dead and forgotten. He is crucified, he is done, it is over. Stop talking about him and they won't because the disciples have seen him, he's alive, they know, and they keep spreading the gospel, and the pressure is building. They keep telling people the good news that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus saves. But it all comes to a head. If you have a Bible, I'm going to read from Acts chapter 7 with us, um, for us, Acts chapter 7, verse 54. It all comes to a head in this. Acts chapter 7, verse 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, heard Stephen teaching the gospel, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep and Saul approved of their killing him. I wanted us to look at that because I want us to see what Stephen saw. He sees the glory of God. He is full of the Holy Spirit. Stephen knows who his Savior is. He has confidence and peace in his love. And he looks up. He looks up and he sees Jesus. And what does he see Jesus do? Jesus stands up. Now that is amazing because Jesus is seated in heaven because his saving work on the cross is finished. But Jesus stands up to raise up his people to eternal life. So Stephen had such peace. He said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. But he had such courage as well that he proclaimed Jesus with boldness. And that led him to being killed because he believed that Jesus is alive and Jesus is mighty to save. It's not easy, is it? When we suffer as Christians, and really we have no idea. 
But when we do suffer, we can be encouraged that God is not caught unaware. And when life is hard, whenever people mock you for being a Christian, you go to church, what are you wasting your time for? When that happens, do what Stephen did. Look up. You might not see Jesus until he brings you to heaven or until he returns to earth, but at all times he sees you. The persecution of Stephen is just the start. It spreads to the other disciples. So they become scattered. They're scattered. Do you see that word? In Matt, we can go back to Acts chapter 11. Verse 19. They're scattered, but they're not lost. In Dublin, when we hear that word scatter, we think, scatter, run. It's not quite like that. It's not quite that. They're scattered, but they're not lost because they are exactly where Jesus wants them to be. The timing of this might not have been the disciples' plan, but it was Jesus' plan. If you have a Bible, you can look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8 with me. After Jesus, after he died and rose again, Jesus said to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that's what we're seeing happen in Acts chapter 11. It's happening. But did you see how it happened? It was through persecution. What was meant for evil and the destruction of Jesus' church is actually be, has become something through which God works to accomplish the growing of Jesus' kingdom. In the early chapters of, of Acts, until now, mostly the followers of Jesus have, have stayed fairly local. They've stayed where it started. They're in and around Jerusalem, just as Jesus told them to do. And so the gospel is mostly being preached to the Jews. That's who's there. And that's good. They need to hear it. After all, God chose Israel and sent them the Messiah, to which they were supposed to bless the world, share the Messiah with the world. They didn't do that, of course. They killed and rejected the Messiah. But it still makes sense that some Jewish lads, having come to know Jesus is the Messiah, would start the mission of sharing Jesus with their own people. I mean, they know the culture. It's where they live. They speak the language, so to speak. But that's why, if you go back to Acts chapter 11, verse 19 with me, that's why, even when the persecution comes and the disciples travel as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, that's why they spread the word only, do you see that? Only among Jews. It's their culture. It's what they're used to doing. But then there's a turning point, a turning point in the history of God's church, and it's in verse 20. Have a look at it with me. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. That is a game changer. That is remarkable that they did that. This wasn't easy for the first disciples. They have spent their lives with one clear identity. We're Jewish. We're from Israel. We're not Gentiles. We are this. They are that. And they have this idea, the identity, we're God's chosen people, the Gentiles are not. To tell the Gentiles about Yahweh would have been ridiculous to them. But for these scattered disciples, they're seeing a culture change happening in the church. It was still very Jewish. And now there's going to be Gentiles in the church. And I think it would have been uncomfortable, at least a little bit, maybe very uncomfortable, but it definitely would have been unfamiliar. And I know what that feels like. <laughs> Maybe you do too. I'll tell you why I know what that feels like, because I was raised in the church. 
I was raised in that culture. Church has a culture. I know you guys are a young church, still has a culture. And where I'm from, it's a very old church. And it definitely has a very long culture. And it's a great blessing to be raised in being taken to church. It really is. It's a great blessing to be raised in a Christian family. I'm so, so thankful for that. But it can be challenging to share the gospel with people who weren't. It really can. Uh, because they have a different culture. They speak differently. They have different values. And there is a fear sometimes in here. What will they say to me? What if they ask me a question and I don't know what to say? Um, or what if they want to come to church? Come on in. And what if, what if they become a believer? Will that change the culture of the church? Yes, it will. Maybe, maybe there's even a fear that I kind of like church as it is. Um, for many years, I felt that fear. And you know, something, some, some, a reaction that that fear met in, in other people sometimes. I was afraid. And other people met my fear with, well, guilt and shame. Oh, you don't want to share the gospel with people out there. You don't want to go and help with this. And it, there was a, a little touch of shame and guilt that I just didn't want to do that. It didn't help. But can I tell you what I really would have liked someone to do instead? What I would have loved them to tell me to do. I get that you're afraid, Neil. Here's what you do, right? Look up. Look at Jesus. Do what Stephen did. Look at Jesus, keep looking. Because Jesus sees you. And he knew my fear and he knows all of us and what we're going through. And what I realized by looking at Jesus was the church is not my culture. The church is about Jesus. It's his church. And it's not, it's not some community that we get into by birthright. It's not something that we're in because of where we live or because of something like a denomination. It's his church. And I promise you that when you keep looking at Jesus, that his love for you will fill you up to overflow so that you can't but share it with other people. And you start to look at the world around you and the culture around you differently with different eyes. The eyes of Jesus' compassion and love, not with the eyes of fear, not with the heart of fear. And you do that by looking at Jesus. Look up. Because Jesus is creating a new humanity, a new category. It's not Jews and Gentiles anymore. But Christians, disciples of the Lord Jesus, a family made up of former Jews and former Gentiles, whatever they were before, they are now found in Jesus now. It's a whole new life, a whole new identity, where Jesus' people now were adopted and forgiven and made righteous and so many other things. And this is what Jesus wants. Would you look at verse 21? The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. A great number. What we're seeing in Antioch is a fruitful church. How did that happen? That's in verse 21. How did that happen? The Lord's hand was with them. When I was a teenager, my family, we went on holiday to a, a water park. You know? Imagine, we don't have any of them here for good reason. It's too cold, but a water park. And uh, there was this huge water slide. It was enormous. Um, you've probably seen something similar, and you probably know what to do. I didn't really know what to do. You get a big inflatable ring thing that's bigger than you, and you sort of hold it behind yourself like this, and you're meant to sort of lie down on it and then sort of 
I didn't really know what to do at that point. And the first time I did this, I thought I've done this wrong because I didn't move. I just sort of floated there in the water, holding onto this ring, like a, almost like a turtle a bit on its back, and you just kind of bob along. And you're just sort of sitting there in the water going, until, of course, you probably got there before me, you know what's going to happen, until, of course, the lifeguard pushed my ring forward, and the water jets and the gravity hooshed me along at this unbelievable and very pleasant speed where you just surging forwards. Right? That's what's happening here in verse 21. The reason the disciples see a great number of people come to believe and turn to the Lord is because the Lord's hand is with them. He's surging them forward. God is the wind at their backs. It's amazing. He's blessing them. His hand is surging them forward at a great speed. Why? Why is he doing that? Why is his hand with them? Well, verse 19... They are spreading the word, and verse 21, they are telling the good news about the Lord Jesus. This is what happens when God scatters. It's like seed, it's the parable of the sower. Believers, Christians, who have the word of God, they bear fruit. What does the fruit look like? In the believers, it's obedience. They obey Jesus. He said, go and be my witnesses, and they're doing that. They're hearing, and people, the people who are there, are hearing the gospel from those believers who are already there, and they're becoming believers. That's more fruit. Do you know we don't even know the names of the believers who went to Antioch? The scattered ones, we have no idea who they are. But verse 20, what we do know about them is they had a zeal for Jesus. They loved him, and they told people about him. So word of what is happening in Antioch gets back to Jerusalem, and they send Barnabas to evaluate us. That might seem like they're checking up, but I think this is a very wise and good stewardship thing to do to make sure this is actually a faithful Jesus movement. And Barnabas is so glad to see that it is. And he had a great time when he arrives in Antioch. He gets to see the grace of God at work. So what's next? What's next for this young church? Two things encouragement and discipleship. Encouragement and discipleship. Verse 23, he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Barnabas is a man who loves Jesus and it's overflowing out of him. Verse 24, we're told he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. His presence and his witness along with the church that's already in Antioch is leading to others coming to faith as well. He's encouraging these new believers. He's saying, keep going. Keep looking to Jesus. And he could say that because he lived it. You know, Barnabas wasn't even his real name. In Acts chapter four, he, he turns up in Acts chapter four, and we're told that he's Joseph. He's a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles named Barnabas, meaning son of encouragement. He sold a field and he gave the money to gospel mission work. He didn't have to sell the field. He didn't have to give all the money of the field. It's his choice. And he chose to come and put the money at the apostles' feet. Why did he do that? You know where he's from? He's from Cyprus. You know where the scattered Christians went to? Among other places, Cyprus. You see what he's doing? He knows, he knows where he comes from. He knows the gospel is not there. He wants to get the gospel back there and other places and Antioch. Barnabas is so confident in God's 
grace for him. If Jesus is dying on the cross for me, then of course he will take care of me. He is so confident in that that he sells his fields. He wants to see the gospel spread. And now he's come to Antioch to encourage and be part of that encouragement. But encouragement isn't just emotional, you know? It's not just, oh yeah, good job, keep going, this is great, isn't Jesus? That's, that's a very important part. Um, it's also recognizing that the church in Antioch needs discipleship. What is discipleship? Well, before we, before we explain that a little bit, I love Barnabas' humility. He might have thought to himself, I will go and I will do the encouragement and I will also do the discipleship. And he does a bit of it, but he, I love his humility. He knows a great Bible teacher and he heads to Tarsus to find Saul and bring him back to Antioch. Now, if you were paying attention earlier, he went to get Saul. And this is why you don't skip parts in the Bible. But he's lost his mind. He has gone to get the guy who has caused all this persecution and caused all the, the, the scattering, and you're going to bring him to the nuts. Um, but no. Famously, of course, Saul, the Jewish zealot, who was trying to wipe out this false teaching movement that insisted that Jesus was the Messiah, he, he himself met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He came to faith, he repented, and now in a beautiful picture, a beautiful picture of how God gives grace to sinners and a whole new identity, Saul will now go and teach scripture to people whose church was started by his persecution. Do you see what happened there? Isn't that unbelievable? Can you imagine these guys when he and Saul walked in the room? Like, oh. But what an amazing example of God's grace on display is Saul coming in to teach the Bible to those people. Unbelievable. Only God, that's just incredible, isn't it? So how did Barnabas and Paul disciple this church? Well, verse 26, for a whole year, they met with the church and taught great numbers of people. That's what discipleship is. It's not just the initial decision to believe in Jesus and turn to follow him, but to keep following him. To grow as his disciple, to live for Jesus in the culture that we find ourselves. And we need to be disciples in order to do that. We need to disciple so Jesus can teach us. How do we be holy and faithful to God in the culture we find ourselves in? That will mean living counterculturally. So discipleship will tell us how to do that and why to do that. So, so important in every culture, but especially in ours, because we are facing a culture that is encouraging us to live very much not the way Jesus told us. So we need to know why. And to learn that and to study that and to be discipled to do that. For this to happen, we need to be taught from God's word. God's word is all about Jesus. So as we read the Bible and as we're taught the Bible, we get to know him. If we don't, well, what would that look like? If we weren't discipled and we didn't grow as disciples, what would that look like? I don't think Jesus will mean very much to you. Leaves you with the church. Incredibly precious to Jesus. Jesus died for his church, but also a church full of sinful, broken people as well. So that's all it leaves you with. What Jesus wants for us, friends, is not merely to be people who have some sort of weird spiritual death insurance. Like, don't let it merely be, a long, long time ago, Jesus did something on a cross that means a long, long time in the future when I die, I'll be okay. It's like bookends. That is not what it is to follow Jesus at all. If that's all you have, you are missing out on the in-between. 
And the in-between, what happens on the in-between is a heart-changing journey where the Holy Spirit changes you as you listen to God's voice in his words and then you grow to love Jesus so that you long to see Jesus so that when it does come to the end of our lives, whenever that's going to be, that what we want the most is to see Jesus just like Stephen did. That is what discipleship is. It's not school. It's heart-changing Spending time with Jesus, sitting under his word, learning to follow him, and finding joy in obedience to him, just like the Christians were in Antioch were doing. Let's look at the impact this had on the church in Antioch. Acts chapter 13 was read for us as well. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were there worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. They have become such a diverse church. Our world talks about diversity, but it's very confused about it. This is real diversity. We've already met Barnabas and Saul, but we also have Simeon and Lucius from Africa, Menean, who's related to a Roman ruler. This church is made up of people from everywhere from many different nations, and whatever they were before, who they are now is disciples of Jesus. People who worship Jesus, and they're a missional church. Do you see that? They're not just keeping Barnabas and Saul for themselves. You stay here, you take care of us and teach us. We're all very happy with that. Now they have, Barnabas and Saul have taught the church, and now the church is thinking, right, we wanna continue spreading the gospel, that's how we're here, so we wanna keep doing that. And that's exactly what they do. So let me leave you guys with a few challenges and encouragements. Antioch is a pretty good model for a church to follow. Why? Well, look at verse 23 again of Acts 11. Look back to Acts chapter 11, verse 23. When Barnabas arrived, he saw what the grace of God had done. What a thing to see, eh? What a thing to walk into church and see the grace of God on display. What did he see? Well, he saw all the believers in the church sharing the gospel of Jesus with everyone. Didn't just take one group of people, but everyone. He saw a church that embraced new believers, embraced people wherever they're from, accepting that that will change church culture, but prioritizing discipleship. I mean, they spent a whole year being taught. He saw a church that wanted to see more churches started, more disciples made, so they sent Saul and Barnabas. They scattered them. They want to continue to obey Jesus' command and be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. When I started, I asked you to consider if you've ever given much thought to how it is we came to be called Christians. Acts 11, 26, we're told the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So let me ask you this and challenge you. Ask this church if, if that was us and people from the outside came here and looked at what we did, listened to what we talked about, would they name us after Jesus? Would they hear about Jesus? Would they call us Christians because it's so obvious that we're devoted to Jesus? Those people, they're not Jews, they're not Gentiles, they're, well, they're Christians. When I was younger, I used to ask my brother to go and get me something. You know, you could picture the scene, me and my brother on the couch, sitting there, he gets up, and I say, oh, uh, would you get me, I don't know, something from the kitchen? And he would look at me and go, please. <laughs> and I would say, please is implied. 
Do I need to say it every single time? <laughs> Guys, Jesus is not implied. Jesus is not implied. Jesus is who we emphasize. Every day, the mission is Jesus. Every day, it's about Jesus. What are you doing in my life? Every day, Jesus, I want, you to, I want to bring you to the people that I'm talking to. I mean, when you have coffee with somebody, they might not know it, but they need Jesus. I mean, you're great, but they need Jesus more than you. I'm sure you're very supportive and you're a great listener, but he, they need Jesus. As a church, every day, the mission is Jesus. Every day, Jesus, what do you want us to do? Jesus, you told us what you want us to do. What, who do you want us to talk to? How can we do that? As I was um, praying this week, I remembered the first time I was asked if I was a Christian. I was about 19. Um, I started helping out. Uh, I, was, I told you I'd been raised a Christian, and I was um, helping out the youth group. And, uh, and I, for, for some of us who've been raised in churches, it can be hard to remember the exact day that you become a Christian because you hear about it your entire life. But, but I do remember a day I became a Christian. A few weeks later, someone asked me, uh, are you a Christian? And I thought, I thought about it before I answered, and I said, yeah, I am, actually. <laughs> and and, and I, I belong to Jesus. That's who I am. Um, so what about you? How can you emphasize Jesus? How can you bring Jesus to people in your lives? Think about that. Pray about that. As a church, how can you do that? How can you emphasize him? Because Jesus is not a given. Jesus is who we talk about. Jesus all the time, every day. Um, <laughs> We think about following our dreams. What do we want to do? Now, follow Jesus. Um, let me leave you with some words from, uh, from some verses from John 17. Jesus' heart for his people. Jesus said to his father, talking about his people, talking about Christians, followers of Jesus, Jesus said, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. To see Jesus' glory. We see Jesus' glory when we spread the gospel, when we emphasize Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray for everyone in this room, Father, on this day of Sabbath rests. Ah, Father, we just pray that Jesus would uh, he'd kneel down and kiss us on the forehead as he reaches down for his people. Father, I pray that everyone here would know the love of Jesus. We see that in your words. On the cross, your love is on display. Father, I pray for everyone who's here, uh, in particular for anyone who's come and isn't, isn't, isn't sure what they'd call themselves, is thinking about it. Uh, Father, I just pray they'd see who Jesus is, that Jesus loves every single one of us. Father, we pray for this church and for all of us as disciples that, uh, that we would long to have our hearts changed so that we love and long for Jesus and we love to see people come to know him. Father, we pray uh, for Christ City Church that you, by your spirit, your hand would be with them. Uh, Father, give great Great gifting to your church. Raise up your people. Raise up your evangelists and your teachers. Raise up all the different parts of the body, Father, to work together in perfect unity, united in Christ together. 
Holy Spirit, we just pray that in our hearts, you work to make us long for Jesus, for his beauty and to see his face. Amen. Thank you.